What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, Dr. Kenny Lamb will talk about patient-reported outcomes. He is a professor of clinical research with the Department of Interdisciplinary Health Sciences at A.T. Still University, and among other things, he's an editor uh, on the editorial board for the JAT for the Journal of Sports Rehab and Athletic Training and Sports Healthcare. Just like everybody else right now at this time, he's at home video uh, calling from his house or he just said his, his daughter sitting right beside him watching TV. So if you see somebody popping their head in, that's kind of the situation. And, and of course, I am doing the same. And so I've got kids here and we've got a little newborn baby. Uh, so if you hear a scream or cry or wail, then that's what's kind of going on there. I am your host, Jeremy Jackson, and I've got Ray Levo. He's been with me on multiple podcasts. And then also joining is Brian Colomb, an athletic trainer at Texas Lutheran University and, an, and a teacher. And so he's presented on patient-related outcomes before, and so I think he's going to have some good practical applications of what this looks like um, for all of us athletic trainers. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patient reported outcomes again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patient reported outcomes where i'll have the links that we're talking about and uh the links to the podcast that we did with brian so again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patient reported outcomes shout out to ryan pena from dallas isd who actually said hey can you get dr lamb on the podcast so thank you ryan but without much further ado ray is going to kind of lead the questioning so ray take it away Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you, Dr. Lamb, so much for joining us this morning. Um, we'll, uh, we'll start nice and easy for you here. Uh, can you just define patient reported outcomes for us? Sure. So uh, patient reported outcomes, the, the most uh, basic definition is that there are questionnaires or surveys filled out by the patient um, in kind of this environment of uh, patient-centered care and whole person health care. Uh, the patient reported outcome measures just allows you to capture the patient's perspective and how they're assessing their own health status uh, currently. Uh, and in terms of like benefits, it just helps you again to capture the patient's perspective and how they're experiencing um, their care under your care. Great. And can you define a different type of patient reported outcomes? Yeah, so um, our group really defines it in three general categories. There are generic measures, um, region-specific measures, and single-item measures. And so let's kind of just go through some of the differences. So a generic measure typically assesses a construct that is very global, such as health-related quality of life. Um, and so the advantages of utilizing a generic measure is that you can apply it to all different types of patients. Uh, so if you have three patients, one with an ankle injury, one with knee injury, one with a concussive injury, uh, you can utilize that same measure for all of those patients. So uh, when we look at generic measures, the most commonly used in healthcare is what's called the short form uh, 36. Uh, within athletic training, um, the, a generic measure that is now more commonly used is called the disablement of the physically active. And again, they, they both kind of just assess quality of life uh, very globally. But the disadvantage of that is obviously the opposite of the advantage is that if you have um, uh, patients, sorry, let me backtrack. If you have, if you utilize a generic measure, it might not be able to capture very small but important changes for specific injuries. So for example, um, if you utilize the short form 36, there are items related to physical functioning and they will ask the patient to rate their ability to say walk. Um, and so if you apply it to a patient with an ankle injury and a patient with a shoulder injury, it's gonna impact that particular item uh, quite significantly differently. Um, so that's where you might run into issues in terms of you utilizing a generic measure. And we can talk about, you know, how you might combat that uh, in terms of clinical practice. Um, in terms of region-specific measures, it kind of is what it sounds like. These are measures specifically designed for a body region. Um, so a common re uh, body region measure is the foot and ankle uh, ability measure, so the FAM is typically used in um, patients with ankle injuries. And that is a number of questions really related to their function. Uh, and so with that, the advantage there is you can kind of capture some of those small but important changes for 
that patient. Um, and the disadvantage of that is that you can only use that particular measure for, say, uh, uh, patients with foot and ankle injuries. And then the single item measure, and I actually think athletic trainers utilize single item measures without really realizing it as this part of their evaluation uh, procedures. So a common, uh, so let me backtrack there again. The, the definition of a single item measure is this a one question, um, one, one item question that the person, the patient answers. So for example, the numeric pain rating score rate your pain from zero to 10. We ask patients that all the time. Um, and that is a single item measure. Um, and so the advantage there is that from a time perspective, it doesn't take very much time to ask those questions. The disadvantage is that since it's a single item measure, you can only really get a very global perspective on the patient. But there are other single item measures related to um, assessing global function and global disability. So. Right. Um, you know, whenever we talked to uh, Dr. Zach Winkleman, he we, that was one of the things that I learned was the the pain scale shouldn't be where ten is being you're being ripped apart by a wild animal because that's something I would say right. And so that they were like, oh, okay, well that's crazy, but but a ten should be the worst pain you've you have ever felt. And so you know, focus on patient centered, patient based care. So using the right. numeric pain scale, that's just one of the things that I I remember, you know. And then I'm always like, oh, okay. It's all relative to the patient. So, okay, what's the worst pain you've ever felt? Let's call that a ten. And then, what is this right here? And so, right. again, just just adding that in as we as we go. So, continue. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. One of uh, without getting kind of really too deep into this content area, um, one of the criticisms of current uh, or available patient reported outcome measures is that it might not be sensitive enough for our patients because our patients are generally young, healthy, highly functional patients, even when they are injured. Um, so single item measures actually provide a really nice way to what we call anchor the scores, meaning that um, because they're, it's relative to their, say, pain tolerance, you can utilize that to, to kind of weigh what they're saying on that item, which is very specific to them and what they're reporting on say a fam, which may be, you know, they might kind of what we call have a ceiling effect where they max out on the measure, but they're actually still feeling some sort of uh, limitation regarding say their pain or their function. But that's a really good um, point in terms of the single item measures. One of the huge advantages there is that it's really about um, how the patient feels from their perspective um, more specifically. And you, you had a, uh, Dr. Lamb, you had a great article, uh, that just came out last month in the, um, uh, uh, NATA journal. Um, you spoke about, uh, the, the current state of pro, of uh, prom, sorry, in athletic training. Um, what do you see that are the current major barriers related to the routine use in athletic training? Yeah. So that's a great question and something that we've been looking at as a group here at AT still. So we, over the last 10 years, we have done two survey um, investigations where we've asked athletic trainers um, just about their habits in terms of use. And so in terms of current state of use is it's fairly low um, based off of those two studies that we did. It, it ranges between 21 to 26% of athletic trainers are utilizing what we would say uh, patient reported outcomes on a routine basis. Um, and so that's, I would say, a relatively low number. Uh, obviously, in terms of some of the efforts that you see in athletic training, we want that percentage to be much higher. That being said, when we look at kind of healthcare in general and we look at very similar disciplines, uh, we're actually not all that far off. If you look at um, disciplines such as PT or OT, um, that ranges from 30 to 40% in terms of routine use. Uh, so again, it's low, but we're not that far off. Um, so I, I, I think um, we shouldn't beat ourselves up too, too much regarding that. Um, in terms of some of the barriers, I think what we found is that time obviously is always a barrier. I think it's something that is uh, in terms of the use of patient report outcome measures is the use is kind of what I would say be considered as extra um, whenever it's new. Um, so to kind of fit in something what would be perceived as extra into an already hectic and 
time constraint um, situation is, is always a challenge. Uh, if you look at kind of the, uh, literature regarding it, the use of patient reported outcome measures, not only in athletic training, but in other fields, um, there is a identification of uh, lack of organizational support. Um, so those who are more successful in terms of implementing those outcome measures typically have, say, a larger um, uh, support staff, um, whether it be administrative staff at, in the office, um, or there might be a huge support or initiative from, say, their supervisor that says you need to do this. And then that kind of uh, typically is correlated with success as well. Um, and then the other component, which we actually didn't find in our survey, but if you look at other literature within athletic training, there is a general lack of familiarity of patient-reported outcome measures. So I think I referred to the FAM before in terms of a region-specific measure for the ankle. Uh, and I, there was a survey done uh, several years ago in which they asked athletic trainers, how familiar are you with a number of different outcome measures and the FAM was on there. And uh, it was a pretty large percentage. I think it was about 70% of athletic trainers did not at that time know what the FAM was. Um, and I, I would say that's probably one of the more recognizable uh, measures. So there are a number of different things uh, that could impede our ability to implement outcome measures. So, but time, lack of organizational support, and just the lack of familiarity of patient reported outcomes, I think those are probably our, our, the main things that um, are kind of impeding us right now. So I kind of want to touch base on the, uh, the lack of organizational support. How do you, as an athletic trainer in, in any setting, um, how do you show the, the, the use of proms to be effective in your clinical practice to an, your AD or the school president or what have you? Yeah, that's always tough. I think, um, so I've been kind of in this content area for about 10 years. And I think in the beginning, there's a lot of, I would, I would say that when I presented, I talked a lot about the use of proms and how it's important in terms of demonstrating the quality of care that we provide. I think that still holds true. I think it gets a bit more difficult when you bring in a, a second party here in terms of like an AED who may not be, may, who may not have like a medical background or particularly um, is invested in that particular measure. So um, I've come more recently to appreciate just understanding the stakeholder. Uh, in this case, it might be an AD and what's really important to them and outcome measures may not actually align with them. Um, I think uh, it is, I think it's still important to measure. I think it's something that they, as an athletic trainer, as a healthcare provider, you should be providing that type of data. But in terms of does it impact, say, um, employment or adding extra athletic trainers to the staff? I, I think that's a case-by-case -case basis. It's just, it comes down to how uh, meaningful it is to, say, the AD and how um, they view that type of a data, uh, data point. So um, just personally, as an athletic trainer, when you're reflecting on um, all the problems that you, that you've kind of collected throughout the day or month or, or for a respective yeah. season. Um, you know, there's a big human element, as you mentioned before, uh, to, to the rating scales. Um, so when you, when you look back and reflect on all that data, how do you take into consideration the human element? So, you know, again, you mentioned before, you know, my pain might be a three out of 10 and my three out of 10 is a lot different than your three out of 10 or Jeremy's three out of 10 or Brian, you know, so how, how do you differentiate there um, when, when you're going to reflect on that data? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so I think most globally, what you're doing with your patient reported outcome measures is that you can make that statement of, I am assessing the patient from their point of view. Um, and so if you have all of your patients say recover 100%, which it doesn't happen. We know from literature that that does not happen, but if you could at least demonstrate that um, they are making meaningful changes from their perspective in terms of whatever it is, it could be whatever outcome you're measuring, if it's quality of life, great. If it's self-reported function, great. Um, I think 
I think utilizing patient reported outcome measures allows you to kind of formalize that process. I think uh, I will, I could make an argument that um, athletic trainers are inherently good at asking about the whole person. Um, I would argue that athletic trainers, um, you know, as compared to other healthcare providers may ask about mental health, um, may ask about how is this affecting your life? Um, and I think that's just ingrained in how we practice. However, I think we have never formally and systematically assessed those elements throughout the course of care. And so patient reported outcome measures allow us to systematically and formally assess those components um, across um, the duration of care. So for example, again, if you go back to pain, it's something that we probably ask every time a patient walks in um, and we might write it down in their chart, but we might not. Um, and so if we have say this formal single item measures that single item measure that the patient just completes every time they come in, now we're systematically tracking them over the course of time. Um, and so, as we mentioned before, those single item measures are very um, patient specific. So I think the, heal, heal, the human element is actually ingrained in those types of items. Uh, I think you have a good argument for other um, measures that may not actually capture all of the patient's deficits. And that goes back to like the ceiling effect. Um, but at the same time, my argument there would be, it's probably better to do that and maybe anchor it. Like maybe we use a, uh, the FAM measure, anchor it to a single item measure to get that personal um, anchor in there. It's better to do that than do nothing at all. Um, and so we kind of just have to deal with kind of the constraints that we're, we're confronted with. And Ray, can I just jump in here real quick, yep. just to give a kind of a practical experience that, you know, here at Texas Lutheran, uh, about four years, I started getting in, four years ago, I started getting into the, the idea of patient reported outcomes. And I thought, man, this is a great idea. We're going to do it here. And I've been here for a long time. I know all the, the staff. It's going to be easy. We're just going to start doing it. We're going to just, you know, and, and, and Kenny's shaking his head right now just knowing and you know we you, you go over all the barriers and yes all the time and logistics and structure that's all true for us you know i thought man this is a great place we don't have that we have staff we have students we have all this this resource we can do it but the the main barrier that we have is just the routine the habit the culture that our profession has been of just not doing it our preceptors, our on-campus preceptors, the one we have the most interaction with, when we show them this, they say, yeah, pain's a good idea. I do that. I do all this stuff. Oh, you want me to do a global rating of change? That's one question. I could do that. I can even do the, you know, the, so we, we're, they're starting to do now some of these things, but they just, it's just not in their normal procedure. When they see an ankle injury, they have a system and they go through it and they go, okay, this is what we do. It's either an x-ray or not x-ray. And we, we put you on rehab and we go, Right. And we just do our do our normal procedure. So for us, our battle has been and, I, and we've gotten a lot better. Our battle has been doing the things that, that, that Kenny was just talking about, the pain and recording that and now trying to incorporate that into our notes, number one, and then even our. Um, our return to play outcomes, all right? What do we want as a goal for you? We want you to be able to, when we get back to function, let's see if we can run and not have your pain go above a three or whatever the, you know, and, and using that as our, you know, to, in, in the conversation as we start to go, instead of just going, all right, go run, how to go? Oh, and okay, you know, and, and we don't have any, any good data. It's like, well, what was it number-wise? And then that way, so that's been our struggle. And, and from a practical standpoint that, um, it, you know, I know it's hard because <laughs> we've, I've lived it, so. Yeah. And that, I, I mean, you, you kind of describing uh, your last four years, that's exciting to me to just hear that. Um, just even trying, I think uh, that's actually the most difficult but important step is this, let's just try um, and then just kind of try to build momentum from there. Um, obviously, I think every situation, every location has its own challenges, but um, it's just, let's just try and let's do it um, on say a smaller scale and then scale up from there. Um, but 
I mean, I commend you on 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 getting this far. It, it sounds great, and I, I think oftentimes we talk about the use of outcome measures kind of throughout the treatment, uh, the course of treatment. But return to play is a huge thing to consider, and in fact, I think that ATs actually utilize patient-reported outcome measures, and they don't realize it. So, one of the things I think that we often overlook is how do we how do we um, treat and manage patients with concussion? The SCAT-5, right? And, mm -hmm. and the, there's a symptom checklist in there and that that's taken from the patient. And so we're doing it. And I, no one, I don't think there's huge resistance from athletic trainers to use that, use that form or use those items. It was just part of what they did. And it wasn't quote unquote extra. It was just, this is how we treat patients with this particular injury. And I think until we get into that mindset with say all injuries, it's going to be really kind of tough to kind of have that as a standard of care, but um, we're doing it and we might not actually know that we're doing it. Um, but then when we hear it kind of presented in a different manner, um, it just becomes like, oh, it's something new and something that I, I just don't know how to do. You're doing it. You know how exactly how to do it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dr. Lam. I mean, uh, so just in regards to the SCAT-5, I mean, really and truly, these problems just tell a story. And um, going back to what Brian says, it, it's incorporating that into your notes really shows coaches, administrators, whoever's involved in uh, the return to play process, or at least collecting information for the return to play process. Um, hey, you know, athlete Joe Smith or uh, whoever is uh, experiencing this at this time, and they're not able to get to where we want to get them because of you know, X. Um, right. It's awesome. Yeah. And I think the, the idea of return to play and the use of outcome measures is going, is starting to become very important and highlighted in, in research and also consensus statements. So if you follow um, the international ankle group, um, and then also if you follow the OA, the athletic trainers, osteoarthritis group, um, they've highlighted the need to understand what outcomes look like at return to play, because from an ankle's perspective, it's you should be utilizing it to support um, return to play decisions. And then I think from an OA perspective, it's really interesting in the long term to see, hey, if a person returns to play at this score, are they more susceptible to OA in, the, in future years? So it's, it's becoming a, a, a way more common now in terms of um, discussions related to those two, um, two groups. So, uh, so kind of catapulting off of that, how do you see uh, patient reported outcomes progressing in the clinical setting? And what are the next steps that we need to take? Yeah, so maybe Ryan can, give his insights here as well. Um, in, in terms of progressing, I think, you know, 20 to 21 to 26%, there, obviously there's a lot more improvement uh, to be had there. Um, I think in terms of progress and next steps, I think they're a bit interrelated. I, I find that, again, the first five years of kind of talking about this uh, topic area, um, it, it didn't seem like we were really making very much much progress. Uh, but I would say that within the last three to four years, I've seen a lot of different things happening that provides me hope. Um, so I think one of the things that I personally experience is that the questions I get when I present on this topic area at professional conferences, those questions are way more sophisticated and in depth. Um, so that indicates to me that as a profession profession we are thinking about this topic area more we are attempting to implement these measures yeah we're facing problems then but at least we're making that uh step and those two things uh tell me that there's progress uh at the clinical practice level the other thing that provides me great hope is that just that the implementation or the inclusion of the use of patient reported outcome measures into our professional educational um, standards and competencies also provides me great hope because I think, you know, if, you, if that's part of your education and this becomes part of, say, again, uh, what you just do, what you normally do, I think um, that's a great way of kind of um, pushing the profession uh, as a whole, too. So kind of taking 
um, I kind of see it in, in two different perspectives, one from what's actually happening at the clinical practice or point of care, um, and then also what's happening at the educational um, level. And so I can, you know, just to add into that, to give you some of our practical experience on both sides of that, that uh, Dr. Lamb just mentioned, from the point of care standpoint, like I said, we've, we've been doing this now for about four, actually five years. I, you know, my, my time is, <laughs> it's 2020, right? Um, so, um, so now we've, you know, we started with the, the, the single question, uh, you know, uh, outcomes, and we, we're, we're pretty good at that. We also, I'll tell you, we, we tried and failed miserably because at the, at the beginning, we're just going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to have for the knees. We're going to, you know, we're going to do the DPA. We're going to do all this stuff. And it didn't, didn't take. We're now getting to a point that it's much more of an accepted, like I mentioned before, that it becomes now much more part of our routine that, okay, this is a serious ankle injury. This is not just somebody who says, eh, my ankle kind of hurts and they run off. Um, this is a serious ankle injury. We know this is going to be a, a long-term thing. And so now during our evaluation or during our, when, when they come in for a rehabilitative uh, appointment, then we start, it's, it, it now becomes, all right, well, what's available for the ankle, for the knee? And we start to, to, to do that. And so that is specific on, you know, you're going to have to try and fail. Um, you will fail and you'll figure out things. And, and the bad experience just helps shape your well, I'm not going to do it every time, but here's the times that I can do it. That's that's specific for each one. Um, from a professional level, um, we have used the educational standards to drive a little bit of this practice. Uh, we use our students. We teach it um, in our in in the way we teach our evaluations now. That becomes part of that evaluation process. Is maybe using some kind of patient outcome to kind of drive their goal setting process or to include the dis uh, disablement models and incorporate some of this, this broader approach. Um, we have gotten the, you know, all of our uh, immersive students this semester, they went out and, and part of their assignments, you know, we're forcing them on these assignments, um, but they go to these, these uh, immersive sites and they're reporting and their, their um, narratives and reflections are there's nothing here. Right? They don't do this here at, at this site, and this was the first thing. And so it opens up that conversation for a long, you know, a, a long tenured athletic trainer that's done it, you know, for forever. Um, but now they have this new perspective, and you know, it it takes time, and eventually it becomes part of the norm. And so that's what, you know, we just need to kind of continue the 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 fight, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and so, uh, that, <clears throat> those are great insights. Um, uh, I also, in terms of acceptance, I think we always talk about acceptance from the clinician's perspective, but I've also heard about stories from the patient's perspective. Why do I have to fill this form out? We've never done this before. So it's a cultural change within the entire clinic. So it's not just, you know, getting the athletic trainers on board, but it's also sometimes a struggle of getting the patients on board as well. Um, and, and I've heard stories of that as, um, in terms of some of the challenges. So, so uh, speaking about uh, the challenges, so we mentioned before just having time constraints, and I, I feel like this is uh, particularly noticeable in like a secondary setting or a high school setting. Uh, I'm sure Brian's experienced this as well, we're at Texas, uh, Texas Lutheran. Um, can you speak specifically as to how patient reported outcomes are incorporated into those particular settings? Let me, let me say something I mean, real quick. Um, one of the things that we've done uh, since learning about this is uh, we use rank one. And so every day the kids have to sign in when they come in. And then um, we, we have a student, a high school student aide working in, in there and they, they're looking at the daily treatment log. And so the, one of the questions that they ask, they're, they're taught you always, these are the two questions you always have to ask. What is your pain level today? And what percent of 100 are you? And so those are the two questions we try to get, get them to ask every single time. They're like, look, these are the two things you have to get every single time. Every single person that comes in, you need to get this and you need to get this. And then that way they're actually, you know, in high school, if they go on to medical, then they're, they're beginning to, to learn that. But it's also, now I know, and now we know that, you know, sometimes the kids say 87.5%. Okay, that's really specific, but, you know, whatever. That's part of your personality and those kind of things. So that's one of the cool things that I've learned from this and that we've incorporated into our practice. And so I do want to hear what are some more practical examples. What are some other single item questions that, 
that you guys uh, might ask and those kind of things. So go ahead. We're going to continue with a practical setting and especially what it might look like in a secondary or high school setting. So I, I'm, I'm loving this conversation that we're having regarding single item measures and, and kind of starting there uh, in the beginning, again, when I started kind of in this topic area, uh, our general um, recommendation was to utilize both a generic measure and a region specific measure um, just to kind of be able to capture the patient from a global quality of life perspective, but also being able to capture those uh, small and sensitive changes over time regarding the, the particular uh, body part. And it was just too much. Um, and so ideally, I think that's where we want to get to. Um, but it's just too much too fast. Um, and so over the last several years, my general uh, recommendation was just start with start well general recommendation is start small build momentum and then kind of um deploy or expand from there um and you can start off as small as you want um so collect just um as jeremy just said collect as pain for every single patient that walks in that's one question that you ask they they tell you a number and you just write it down um and then from there eventually you're gonna collect so many data points that you'll be able to do something with those data points, turn it into information that you, that is going to be meaningful in some regard. Um, and then that's when, from a clinician's perspective, you're going to see, oh, it, this is actually very meaningful and then very helpful to my practice, whether it be um, in terms of how I care for my patients or I can utilize that information and present it to administrators. Um, and then from there, oh, well, let's add a second single item measure. Oh, let's add... Um, uh, a, a short, you know, region specific measure, like this year, we're only going to focus on ankles and every ankle we're going to see, we're only going, we're going to give them the fam. Um, and I think just having this kind of progressive implementation and not trying to do everything at once, just start off small and then kind of, again, building momentum before you can uh, deploy it on a massive scale. Um, and so that I think from a general recommendation, that's what I would suggest um, athletic trainers try because as Brian just illustrated really well, you're going to run into barriers, you're going to fail. Um, and so it's, it's way less uh, uh, demoralizing if it's, oh, we failed with one item than it is, you know, we had, we spent all this time to identify 20, you know, outcome scales that we were going to implement and none of it, none of it worked. So um, start small, build momentum. Brian, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, I think the, the start small is definitely where we fell back, definitely fell back to. And I would say, you know, from a high school, that's another, you know, the secondary school setting is another area that, um, you know, is an, of, of interest to me and just trying to identify the, you know, the, the possible avenues. Obviously, the single items are the best. What we've done in our clinic, we've uh, we've taken laminated pages that has have a pain scale and a global rating of change on there. We have them, you know, uh, velcroed on on different areas of the of the uh, of the clinic, and then you know we can we don't have to hand them anything. Then we can just look look at the scale. What do you you know give me it? And so it becomes real quick, uh, similar to what what uh, Jeremy mentioned is that as far as when they come in, this is the procedure. Uh, so we've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of success out of just doing simple things like that in a secondary school setting to expand beyond that it becomes really site specific and i think uh, I, I think it, you just figure out how many people you have you know staff and and resources clinician wise and and what you can do uh, with the amount of patients that you have the amount of you know, what is your, what, what is the ability that you have to interact with these people, uh, with, these, with, with our patients? And, you know, if, if it's a situation where there is a consistent rehabilitative program, you know, program, then those are obviously uh, situations where you have more interaction and you can follow this person in a, in a longer, so these, these longer term injuries present more opportunities that you might go, hey, I'm doing, I'm working with this, this ACL person over and over this this may be one of those situations and it doesn't have to be this is this could be just a hey i'm going to do it with this person this year and then a couple people next year it doesn't have to be everybody has to do it um and so i think it's just kind of you know putting your foot in the water you know getting used to it 
then you go down to the to the knees and you get used to it and you keep going and you know pretty pretty soon you're just you're you're swimming for analogy how's that for analogy huh <laughs> Some analogy right there <laughs> so i i think that's a, a great point in terms of uh it's very site specific one of the things um one of the things i would say is that as a clinician you have to figure out what your typical workflow is so what's the environment that you're working under um, what's the general flow of your day and then decide when would be the best time to implement say a single item measure because we've heard stories two stories now where it's when the person enters the athletic training clinic um, but that's not that might not be the case for everyone it might be say at the end of the day or out in practice i don't i don't know but uh, what i do know is that if you ever try to implement something new into practice and it just doesn't jive with your natural workflow it's there's gonna you just can't do it or or it, it's gonna be way more challenging to implement it now um in regards to you know when in the process so uh when during your specific time of care for uh, the patient. Um, have you used patient reported outcome measures uh, at both the start of treatment and the end of treatment to get a, a kind of a global scale of, okay, this, this particular treatment is effective or this particular rehab is effective, you know? Um, can you speak so, to that? Yeah, so good question. And there are a number of factors that involve, are involved here as well. Um, and this is a common question that uh, we get is when do I um, assess it or when do I utilize the outcome measure? And the long, long story short, it just depends. <laughs> it depends on the, the injury you're, that you're dealing with. It actually depends on the measure that you're utilizing. Some measures ask, um, how have you felt within the last seven days? Some will ask, how have you felt in the last 30 days? Um, and so you're, you're kind of limited there because those outcome measures are, are validated on that time period. Um, so that kind of factors into it as well. And then the type of injury, you know, you, you might see an ankle injury for two weeks, right? But the ACL injury you might see for a year. Um, and so you, as the clinician, you almost have to figure out when the best time is to do that. Um, you know, I, generally speaking, I think um, where you want to standardize it in terms of if you're actually going to show your the value of your care or the quality of your care, you, you want to get at least when they walk in for mm -hmm. the first time and then when you discharge them from your care. Um, and then I would say a, a, a secondary data point within there that you might want to consider is when do they return to play? Because what we found when kind of setting up some of our studies is that return to play may not actually be when you discharge when they're discharged from care. Um, so you, you kind of have to figure out uh, when those two different time points are. But when we talk about different types of injuries, every injury is going to have at intake, at return to play, at discharge from care. And so that's a way to kind of just standardize it. Um, if it becomes just easier to do it, say every two weeks, do it every two weeks, but um, it just kind of varies based off of what you're dealing with in terms of the injury and in terms of the measure that you're utilizing. But I think at the very least, if, you're, if your goal is to um, really demonstrate quality of care, intake, return to play, discharge from care, if your goal is to utilize the information to really guide the treatment process, then you're probably looking at a more frequent um, implementation of, of those measures. And I'll, and I'll add just one thing that we did. In fact, I'm going to have to give credit to where it actually came from. This is one of our students that, that came up with this in, in projects and trying to figure out how to, how to do this better. Uh, I will give credit, uh, Max Soto, if you're listening, this is your idea and we do it. You know we do it. But as, as a lot of people might do, we use a, you know, from a, when we record our, uh, our rehabilitation exercises and all the things we do, we have a, a basic sheet that we record this on and it's, you know, it's an Excel sheet, right? And you have the little boxes and the days and, you know, your, your, your list of, of activities and interventions on one side. And so what we've done is just periodically, we take one of those columns 
um, and I think we did it every week or every two weeks, I think it's every week, is we just bolded that. So we just outlined it in a little bit of bold as a trigger to go, okay, it's been a week. I need to you know, go in and make sure that I do a, a, a much more thorough soap note and evaluate what, what are the outcomes that I want to, to measure. There may be times that we don't measure anything uh, because of the patient, but it's just a reminder to, to the clinician to go, okay, it's been a week. Instead of getting in this pattern of just, you know, filling in, you know, writing, writing all the, you know, three times 10, three times 10, you know, and do all that all the way over. Next thing you know, you got three pages of this, you know, of this, uh, of these scribbles that, that, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And you haven't checked in. So um, that was just a simple thing that we did. And, um, you know, like I said, it was, it was a student uh, assignment and she came up with it and our clinician said, yeah, that's a great idea. We're going to do it. And so, like I said, it's just a, a one column is bolded. They, cl you know, clicks us in to go, okay, let's evaluate. Do we need to do a, a you know, a, a much more outcome measure right now? But it just puts it in their head a little bit. So, uh, Dr. Lamb, when do you think we'll see uh, the use of patient reported outcomes as a standard of care in athletic training? Yeah, so that's going to be a tough one to answer. I'm not comfortable giving <laughs> a timeline on that, uh, just based off of just previous experience. So, for example, like evidence-based practice, I know as a profession, we've been, it was first introduced kind of in the early 2000s, and we're still kind of struggling with the uptake of that. Um, but I, I will say again, I, I'm hopeful that we're making, we're, we'll be making progress. I would say in the next, we'll be making great progress in the next say five years due to the fact that I think people are more aware. I mean, just hearing what Brian has done at his uh, site um, is amazing and great to hear. Um, and I think there are many other stories similar to that, that, and I don't think that was the case say 10 years ago. Um, and then the other factor is, again, that from just an educational standpoint, I think if we are educating the new generation of clinicians and this is just what you do as a healthcare provider, it doesn't become something new and extra. It becomes something that they just do as a healthcare provider. Um, and so um, I think we're seeing progress now. I think we're going to see even more progress in the next five years. And uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of if we do that survey again, um, say in, in 2025, to see what that percentage is. I, I, I am. I would bet money on that it will be higher, um, but I, I wouldn't bet on what that percentage would be. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting that um, you, you talked about it's part of the new education, and you know, there's also all this pushback about the EVPs, but, but there's also this pushback about the entry level masters. But if we're doing a better job of controlling the education and we're going to produce a more consistent result, it seems like it's a natural progression that if the athletic trainers have to learn how to do this in school, then they're going to be able to know how to do it. And then they're going to, you know, change, you know, slowly shift. But like you said, it's going to take 10 years to where those are now not just the new ones, but those are the ones that are hiring the younger athletic trainers and saying, this is how we're doing it. And I was doing so. So it is interesting to see, like, this is where we want to be, but we don't want to go that way because we're, you know, we don't want to change. We don't want to, we don't want to accept the injury level masters. We don't want to accept the EVP. So it's just, it's an interesting concept to be, because, you know, this is my year 16. So I'm kind of in the middle of the really old school and then the really new school. So Plus with the podcast, I get to learn a lot of new things and a lot of different perspectives. So just so. And, and I would say, um, as with everything related to clinical practice and, and education, I think it hinges a lot on what the student sees, what the student sees during their clinical mm -hmm. um, education experiences. Um, if they're not seeing it being used, uh, during their you know immersive experience then they're probably not going to do it when they get out um so uh while it gives me great hope that you know that type of uh improvement or addition in terms of education will uh, make an impact i think it also it really comes down to role modeling the use of these measures and and having the students see it so 
um, it's not an, it's not an easy fix just to include it into education. There's a lot more involved in it, and some of it is just due to students see it being used. Um, and you know, you can I can highlight a, a a number of different things that uh, we can improve on as as a profession. And they're just not seeing it. Like patient documentation is a whole another thing that like our group has really been focused on based off of some of our efforts. And I mean, that's as basic as it gets, but you know, generally speaking, students aren't seeing it. And so uh, I, I think as a, a profession, we're not um, great at um, documenting patient care, which could ultimately hurt us um, in the long term, including, and, and this is why like the implementation of patient report outcomes is really challenging too, because if we're not documenting care, then this is a whole nother, you know, extra thing again. Um, so uh, I, I think there's always, whenever we're talking about improving our practice and moving our profession forward, it, it has to come from like, from all sides and from all levels. So, so Danny Berenger has done uh, several podcasts about EMRs and I believe AT still actually has a, an EMR, right? Yep. So, so I'm the director of the Athletic Training Practices Research Network. And so our, um, so what the ATPBRN is, is a network of clinicians and researchers who basically are trying to work together to identify, um, you know, clinically relevant questions that we can then um, study and investigate. Uh, and part of our network, how we connect with clinicians is that we have a free web-based EMR called the Core AT EMR system. Uh, and so currently we have a, over like 90 clinicians um, utilizing it across about 35 states right now. Um, and Danny is actually one of our alum at he, he completed his DAT from AT Still University. So I think that's how he got introduced to it. But um, yeah, that's that's something that we're, we're trying to uh, uh, improve upon, definitely. Because again, from a research standpoint, that also Im impacts our ability to do research. And, and Brian mentioned that they, <clears throat> they have a, a soap notes or a form, like a regular intake form. And so how might we be able to incorporate this regular check-in or this single item more into our workflow? Because I know, I know we talked about uh, the time is a big is a big problem, but either you guys, what are your other practical recommendations about like, how can we actually do this? So I think Brian brought up a really good point. It's just part of their intake. And so every person and Jeremy, you, you said the same thing too. Every person just gets either asked the same question or asked to uh, complete those single item measures. I think start there. Um, if you're, if you haven't done anything yet, that's a great place to just start. Um, and then again, just, I would say from a workflow standpoint, understanding what's going to help you and, uh, reduce the amount of time that you have to say administer or something like this, uh, would probably be helpful. So going back to kind of the EMR that I just talked about within the EMR, there are, um, fields that, uh, say the daily treatment form, there is a question there that asks the the patient to rate their pain. Um, so that just becomes part of your documentation process. Um, and th so that's part of your workflow. And then we also have those generic and patient, uh, sorry, generic and region specific measures that are essentially auto generated within the system. So if I enter one of you and say, uh, you have an ankle sprain injury on your side of the system, you will get at particular time points, um, complete the FAM, complete the DPA. Um, so that reduces the, the time that you have to spend as the clinician in terms of um, providing those measures. It's kind of just auto kind of generated for, for the clinician. And, I and will... then as a clinician, the next time you log in, you can actually see it within their chart, what the score was. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, I was gonna. Um, I was gonna just suggest that everybody listening to this just uh, flood Dr. Lamb with requests to be signed up <laughs> and make his job even harder. No, no. But we looked at that, and I've um, yeah. And I was gonna mention that I'm and because I liked that feature, the yeah. automatic, you know, initiation of that, and then when you know when jeremy when you come back in and, and you sign in i can see oh you have not completed this did you get that email and invariably 
if we're talking about our young athlete athletic population, they're going to say, yeah, I got it or no, I deleted it or whatever, whatever their excuse is. But it, it then, you know, prompts us to then um, go back and follow up. Um, you know, there's, there's a situation where you can just hand them the phone, go look here, do it right now while you're on ice for 20 minutes. It's not going to take, but three minutes. Right. So that to me was, and I've tried to, to interest our clinic, clinical staff, um, yeah unsuccessfully obviously but um you know i'm still you know and i'm you know i think the the pbrns is a really man that's a to me that's a cool way to 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 use that as a profession not only as a free emr but then we get we get data as a profession on what we're seeing and what what you know what are the you know how many people are doing these outcomes what what kind of injuries are we seeing the most and there's there's so much data that the average person in the clinician, myself, anybody, we don't have time to go over that. You know, we don't have time to sit there and sift through what are, what should we be focusing on and what's the best way of, of, of caring. But, you know, these kind of systems have that structure in place that, you know, at, at any other secondary school, well, I don't have to worry about that. All I have to do is is do my normal documentation. It's web-based. It's, I, I feel like I'm in a commercial right now. So I'm going to stop. I was going to say, can you be our spokesperson for the PBRN? That'd be great. How, uh, yeah, I, how are you on the spot? I think everybody needs to, to just um, flood, you know, the, the, uh, you know, requests to, to Dr. Lamb here. <laughs> well, if you, if, uh, kind of coming off that discussion if you are interested in getting more information if you go to atpbrn.org um, or coreat.org um, -E um, that's our website and you can um, request a demo site for the emr that way and obviously if you have specific questions for me um, i'm happy to answer any questions so just um, shoot me emails that's probably the easiest way to contact me and I think you're going to give the email out or should I give the email out now? It's klam at atsu.edu. What other things did you have come up, Ray or, or Brian or Dr. Lamb, that we need to consider, you know, to actually implement this? You know, I know a lot of athletic trainers are working on policies and procedures. And I think one of the huge things that we've gone over and over again is this is important, but you have to start really simple. So using that, using that one step, um, what other tips, suggestions, you know, repetitive uh, input would you would you say? Oh, we lost Dr. Lamb there for a second. So, anything else you guys have? I mean, I would, you know, I, and I, I I mentioned this earlier. My my advice would be um, obviously like you like you just mentioned, start small, but just be consistent and and use that in your um, in your documentation and write these down, track them and use them. And, and as you see the success and as you see where those are, as you go through this, it becomes more, not only does it become more familiar of a practice and you be, it becomes part of, the, uh, of your routine, but you, you start to see some of the, the benefits or so, you know, how you can use these. And, and, you know, Dr. Land mentioned earlier, as far as, you know, at what point in these outcome measures, what scores are typically, um, the, these are our athletes returning to, to activity and being being successful. Is there something that, you know, because we can all day, we can look and go, man, your strength is good. You can do all my drills, but there's, there's all, there's always that gap there. Um, and we all know if they're not confident, if they don't feel like they're going to be uh, successful, then the chances are they're not going to be. So how do we get them to that point? And I think, you know, start small, expect some some failures and then just to, to figure out and adjust to those failures on on the uh, on your site. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, <coughs> sorry, go ahead. Okay, uh, so I would agree, start small, build momentum and go from there. Um, I think what's also really important at this point in time is to seek out resources. Um, I think there are a number of resources that uh, are at your disposal, um, whether it be researchers like myself or, um, you know, more clinically based uh, athletic trainers like Brian. I, I think there are a number of, and I would say that Brian's stories probably are way more helpful because he's actually at the point of care and trying to implement these. Um, but I, I think sometimes uh, we, uh, we, we don't ask for help when we 
have so much resource that can help out. Um, so seek out resources. And then I think more importantly for athletic trainers who are implementing these measures and having success, I think you need to share those stories. Um, I think it, it is more meaningful to clinicians that it's coming from clinicians. Um, I think those, that advice will um, at least more resonate with uh, athletic trainers trying to implement these measures. Yeah, I 100% agree with Brian. I mean, as far as, uh, you know, me sitting back here and kind of narrating and, and, and learning as much as I can from Dr. Lim and, and Brian here, um, I think going back to Brian, what Brian said earlier, is, is it's a culture change in, in terms of just implementing it into your clinical practice and being consistent with the, that implementation. Um, another thing I think what's, what's great about uh, patient-reported uh, patient outcome measures is that, again, it tells a story. And then when you're dealing with a patient, so say I have Jeremy who comes in uh, with an ankle sprain today, um, we take a, a, a baseline input of his pain scale, and then we take a, um, a post-intervention um, um, uh, number as well. And then we get and say he eventually goes to return to play, and um, say he returns to play at a pain scale of two. When Jeremy gets re-injured a couple months down the line with that same, same ankle injury, um, we can use that, again, that, that first um, instance as, as a baseline, if you will, and say, hey, you were at this point uh, at, at baseline, you were at this point at uh, return to play, what can we do to get you to, you know, set point again? So again, I think it tells a little bit of a story. So one of the things that we do with the, the um, we use rank one sport, and so there's like the the note to coach. So to send a note to coach after the daily treatment, that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that we do is put patient feels like 50% or patient reports a zero out of 10 for pain. So we're going to begin this, that kind of thing. Do you think that that's important or beneficial in any way to send that patient reported outcome to the coach to help them understand? Um, so I know you guys kind of talked about that a little bit, but, but what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, I'll, I obviously it depends on your coach and your relationship with your coach. Um, to me, this gets into a situation um, where, you know, where athletic training is still in a, um, in a point where, you know, a lot of athletic trainers are, um, are under the supervision of a coach. And, you know, there's, we can, that's a whole nother podcast uh, on, on getting into that. So it's, you know, athletic trainers really need to, to kind of, you know, gauge what that, what their relationship with, you know, with their coach is, uh, how that is, what the interaction is, how much does, does their coach um, understand or is, or are they willing to understand what some of these things mean? You know, um, I can tell a coach that, you know, uh, that Jeremy has a, a four out of 10 or a six out of 10 pain. And then if I get the response, well, Jeremy's just a weakling, you know, he, does, he can't handle pain that doesn't help. Right. So, you know, or, or he compares him to Ray and Ray has the same injury and he's fine. So, you know, you need to be, basically you need to have a coach that's willing to understand some of the, the, the discussions that we have. And so that really dictates how effective that will be. Now, with all that said, this is, this is what educators do. We take a long, long time to say something specific, but with all that said, I think you do continue it. I mean, because without it, you, do, you know, at least that guides your discussion. I think you, you have to, and then fight the battle of explaining what that means and battle the, the misperception of, well, you know, six out of 10, that's, you know, I, I did that when I was in school and whatever, all those things, we got to make, make, you know, make an effort to go, well, this is how they're experiencing it. And that's all we can do with that person. Right. So that's, that's what I got. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> now you're st now you're starting to sound like the clinician and i'm more the educator <laughs> <laughs> all right um so dr Lang, i know you already gave out your email and then you said coreat.org so i've I put that link there in the facebook live um so in just a second i'm gonna ask again the best way to get a hold of each of you so if you'll have that ready so we're streaming live on facebook right now and again that's the best way to kind of get involved in the conversation to have your questions answered so if you're listening to the podcast afterwards then you know like or follow the sports medicine broadcast on facebook and that way you kind of get notifications you get that stuff shared and then 
You can also join the conversations, get your specific questions answered during the podcast. Because like I said, Ryan Pena uh, was the one that messaged me and said, hey, will you do a podcast with Dr. Lamb about patient reported outcome measures? And so that's what we were doing. So Ryan Pena is on Twitter, which is Ryan Pena 75, or he works for Dallas ISD. So that's Dallas Sports Med. So if you wanted to contact Ryan about maybe how they're going to implement it as well in a high school setting. Or if you want to get in touch with Dr. Lamb, you can do that by uh, email. So K-L-A-M at A-T-S-U dot E-D-U. And Twitter, I am Kenny Lamb underscore. So K-E-N-N-Y-L-A-M, M is a Mary, and then underscore. All right. And then, uh, Brian, if people want to get a hold of you. Your email would be good as well. It's B-C-O-U-L-O-M-B-E. And that is at T-L-U dot E-D-U. All right. So you can email Brian, email Dr. Lamb or Ray. Uh, yeah. So email is Raymond dot Olivo, O-L-I-V as in Victor, O. And I'm working at the Village School. So it's at thevillageschool.com. And I'm very active on Twitter as well. So Twitter is Ray Olivo, O-L-I-V-O, uh, 20. Good. So in the show notes, again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patient reported outcomes and patient reported outcomes. Uh, I have a link to the article by Dr. Lamb, but it'd probably be just as easy to Google search patient reported outcomes, Dr. Lamb. Um, and then we can have that right away. And then also I have links to the two episodes that we did with Brian uh, when we were down at SPATS back in 2016. So right after he had begun implementing this. So if you want to check those out and kind of see where he's come from then, or, you know, so maybe he had some great wisdom back in the days. Um, and then, you know, as as a partner, we talk about patient reporting outcomes. I figured free hydration is a really good one here because almost everybody that has free hydration units are, are going to tell you it's the best. Like, right. So they're reporting really good things. So it's really more of a client reported outcome, but, but I love free hydration. And, you know, if you, if you're going to go with them, then tell them, Hey, I heard from, heard about you on, from Jeremy on the podcast uh, and they'll hook you up with some special discounts. So again, I love free hydration. Um, and then physicaltherapy.com slash one free course allows you to take one free course. I know everybody is kind of figuring out what they're doing as athletic trainers. So there's a whole lot of online courses. Some of them are free. Some of them are not. And we actually have, <clears throat> currently we have one free CEU available on the sports medicine broadcast and that'll, that'll continue to grow as well. And so if you need to get your, your um, CEUs in again, physicaltherapy.com slash one free course, be a good way to do that or check out free hydration sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patient reported outcomes. So for Jeremy, Ray Levo, Brian Kloom, and Dr. Kenny Lamb, that is a wrap. Thanks.